thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Awesome, awesome. Let's give our worship team a, a hand clap this morning. You guys, you guys are awesome, man. You do such a great job. They do a great job coming here every weekend and week out leading us and and I believe just transform. There's a transformation that happens in worship of our minds. We get focused on on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and, and we have a great worship team to do that. Um, this morning, I'm going to ask you if you would get out your phones and go ahead and go to our Facebook page and check in this morning. Your check-ins are going to be able to help provide to build a school. So that is that is amazing. Uh, you can see all the the uh, social media that we have there. Be sure to, to get in on that check-in today. If I say something that is hashtagable, hashtag that sucker, right? If I say something that you feel like God's just speaking to you this morning, go ahead and, and put that out on social media. You never know who might need to hear that message that God's been speaking to you. Um, I'm so excited to be able to finish the the series that we've been in for, this is going to be the seventh week we've been in a series called Seeing is Believing. Everybody say, seeing is believing. Come on, say, seeing is believing. And for seven weeks, we've been going through the account of John, who John walked with Jesus. He was one of the disciples, and we've been looking at his account. We call it the Gospel of John, but I always want to remind you guys every week that this is something that God, that John gave to us, and it's his personal account. He was there. He saw these things with his own eyes, and then we've been talking about in his old age, somebody came to him and said, listen, we have Mark's account. We have Peter's account. We we have Luke's account. We need you. You walked with him. You were there with him. Could you please go ahead and share with us what it was like, who he was? And so he went ahead and did this. And when when we, we believe that he did this in his old age, and when he did it, he was probably too old to write. Um, we know that most of his friends had already passed away. But when he did this, he, he dictates this, and he's just recalling stories that he's been telling for years years and years and years, and we're going to go ahead and look at uh, the, the last sign. We've been talking about the signs, and in fact, um, when we've been studying this, this book that John gives us, and remember that when John gave it to us, he wasn't thinking he was writing the Bible. Everybody remember that. He, he wrote this down just as his account that eventually would become the Bible. But uh, when you read the entire thing, you get to the very end of his account. And it's in John chapter 20, verse 30. And I'll put it up on the, the screen for you this morning. He says, that, hey, if you're wondering why I wrote this, if you're wondering why I, I put this down, this is my reason. This is my purpose statement. This is my thesis. In John 20, chapter 30, he says this. Jesus 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So he says, we were there. We saw these things. We saw these miracles. We saw these signs. And he says, there are many more that are not recorded in this book. And when he says this book, remember, he's not referring to the Bible because there was no the Bible when he wrote this, right? He's talking about the book that he is writing, the book of John. And he, and he says right here, he's saying, look, I've come to the end of my account of the life of Jesus. And he says, and I've told you a lot of things that Jesus said but he said a lot more things that are included here. And I've told you a lot of things that he did, but he did a lot more things that are included here. He says, I have chosen these things, these specific things that I refer to as signs. Everybody say signs. They were signs. He referred to them as signs because these signs pointed to something. They appointed, they pointed to Jesus's identity. And you continue to read in verse 31, he says, but these things, referring to the signs, referring to the things that I included, these things are written that you may believe. Everybody say believe. See, he wasn't content in just telling us to just believe. Just trust me. Just, just, just believe. Just, just step out there. Just have faith, brother. Just, just have faith, sister. No, 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 no. He says, I want you. I wrote these things down. I dictated these so they would be put in Greek. And Greek was the language of that day. There was the language of the empire. He was expecting people to read this. And he said, I want people to journey with me as I journeyed with him. I want them to see my experience. I want them to hear my experience and do it in such a way that by the end of you reading this, you will be convinced like I was convinced that Jesus was, in fact, who he claimed to be. And who did he claim to be? Claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. You see, he's not simply telling us what to believe. He's building a case of why we should believe. Because God, John did not embrace this crazy idea of just faith that just kind of hung out there on its own. John was specific in what he wanted us to believe, and he says that you will believe that he is the Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he goes beyond that in his thesis statement, in his purpose statement. He says that by there's something that happens when you place your faith in Jesus. There's something that happens when you realize, speaking to Jews in that day, when you guys realize that this really is the Messiah that we've been looking for, he says that by placing your faith in him, you might find life in his name. Everybody say life. And I'm not talking about a life somewhere, somewhere far off. I'm talking about a life here now. In other words, the sequence that brought John to the point where he believed Jesus was who he claimed to be, the sequence that brought him to faith is the same sequence. It's the reason that he wrote the document. It's the same sequence that's going to work out for you and for me. John tells us there were events. Everybody say events. And it just turns out they weren't just random events. They were actually signs. Say signs. And these signs were pointing to something. They were signs. They pointed to something in such a way that would serve as evidence. Say evidence. These signs would be evidence because the evidence of what he saw and what he heard, he says, then, 
Then, then and only then, I believed that Jesus was he claimed was who he claimed to be. And when I began to believe Jesus was who he claimed to be because of the evidence, because of the signs, because of the events, then and only then did I put my trust in him. And that's how it works, guys. That's how it works for all of us. Here's why this is so important. John doesn't begin with, this is how my story started. I just trusted him. I just, you know what, nothing else better to do. I'm going to place my trust in Jesus, and then I'm just going to kind of hope it all works out. No, no, no. In fact, throughout the gospel account of John and Matthew and Mark and Luke, we find that these disciples that we look up to, these apostles that we look up to, that they would believe, and then they would disbelieve. And then they would really believe he is who he says he is. And then all of a sudden, they would start to doubt. They weren't so sure. Why? Because they were like you and me. They were normal, everyday people that God wanted to do extraordinary things through. They were trying to sort all of these things out. And in the end, it was not faith that moved them because seeing is believing. It is what they saw. It is what they heard. It wasn't faith that convinced them at all. And so if John was here, John was thinking, listen, if it was good enough for me, I'm hoping it's good enough for you. If this is a sequence that convinced me, I'm believing it's the sequence that will convince you as well. So in the gospel of John, we see that as he writes this, as he dictates this, he's not just giving us random events. He's giving us signs. Everybody say signs. And we've gone through six of the seven signs. Does anybody remember the first sign, which would become evidence that Jesus is who he says he was? Do you remember the first sign? Water to wine, right? The second sign, anybody remember that one? Jesus heals the dying son. The third sign, Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. The fourth sign was Jesus feed the 5,000 plus through just a couple loaves and two fish. Then Jesus, number five, he healed the blind man. And last week, Pastor Jared gave us one that just kind of really put it over the top. He brought back Lazarus, who had been dead for over, he'd been embalmed, he had been put in a grave, he had been dead for over four days, and he, in front of a lot of Jewish people, raised this guy from the dead. And so, as all of these things are happening in that day, in that world, there was a question that was going around. It was a question that most people were asking. I believe it's the most important question that there is to ask, and it was this, who is Jesus? Because Jesus was claiming to be somebody, and, and, and people had to ask themselves, who is this Jesus? Who, who do we believe him to be? And many times Jesus would ask them, who, who, do you, who do men say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? And I believe this is a question that every one of us at some point in our life we have to ask. And the purpose of this whole series is to get you to ask that question and not only ask it, but to answer it for yourself. Who is Jesus, who do I believe Jesus to be? Please hear what I'm about to say. The sign that we're going to look at today, the final sign, the seventh sign, this sign that was evidence is the resurrection. And the resurrection is what 
finally convinced first century followers that he really was the Jewish Messiah, that he really was the Son of God. They finally were convinced after not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but the seventh sign that this is God in a bod, right? He is here. He came from heaven to earth. This is what convinced them. It wasn't his teaching that convinced them. It wasn't even uh, some of the miracles because you see, it will say as we were going through these signs that, and they believed. And then it would say again, and they believed because then there was doubt that would come in because he's literally saying, he's a person on the earth saying, I am God. It's crazy. And it was the resurrection. The resurrection was what convinced them and it has been convincing people every since. And if you, if, if it's your first time here today at the exchange, or if it's your first time today uh, on the, the live podcast, you've just tuned in online, here's something that you need to know about us. We don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. And I know that may be shocking to you, but, but here's why I say that. I do want to shock you a little bit Here's the thing. It's way, way better than that. It's way more substantial than that. We believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because a first century, first-hand follower of Jesus named Matthew documented the life of Jesus, and he documented what he actually saw firsthand, what he actually heard firsthand at the resurrection. He was there. A lot of people for years and years would just say, you know, somebody asks you, why do you believe? And they say, well, because the Bible tells me so. Well, the problem with that is the Bible doesn't say, doesn't tell you anything. The Bible doesn't speak. This was literally people. Matthew was there, okay? Not only Matthew, but there was a guy named Mark who was really good friends with the apostle Peter, and he got Peter's firsthand account story that Peter says, I was there. I saw these things happen. Mark, you got to tell people everything I saw firsthand. See, we believe because a doctor named Luke, who was also a Greek, who traveled all over the area of Judea. He traveled all around the world. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. He came to the conclusion that I have been talking with this person and that person and this person over here, and they were there. They literally saw the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't just see the resurrection of Jesus. They saw the resurrected Jesus and spoke with him, and we wrote these things down so much that at the first of Luke's account, he says, oh, excellent Theophilus. I have sat down like many have to give an orderly account of the events that took place among us. In other words, we were there. We, we, we saw these things. Guys, as the exchange, we believe in the resurrected Christ because the apostle Peter in two letters to the first century church declared I was there. I saw it happen. He rose from the dead. We believe Jesus rose from the dead because Jesus' own brother named James, think about this, guys. Think about this. His own brother James concluded that his brother was God in a bod. What would your sibling have to do to convince you that they were God? 
I mean, it's just got a stick of fork in it right there. That's pretty amazing, and it happened. And we find out that James really didn't believe that Jesus was Lord while he was walking around teaching, while he was walking around doing all of these signs. He didn't believe until Jesus rose from the dead. And then when that happened, he says, my Lord, this is my Lord. This is my God. I saw him die. My mother saw him die. I saw him raised from the grave. And guess what? He believed it so much that he died for believing it. That's why we believe. We believe because the apostle Paul, who stepped on the pages of history, who was committed to doing away with this thing called the movement, the early church, he was committed and convinced that Jesus was not the Messiah. Paul was the king of the Jews. And he says, I absolutely know this is not the Messiah. I'm going to dedicate my life to stopping this movement. And in the end, he concluded that no. He was the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. He wrote letter after letter declaring this happened, declaring, listen, I I spent time with Peter and Andrew. I was with James and John. I have started the early church with Jesus' brother, James, and they were there, and Jesus did raise from the dead. See, these extraordinary brave men documented what they saw. They documented what they heard, and they gave it to us. These documents were collected and they were protected, and many years later, they were combined and they were put into a volume that we call the Bible. We believe in the Bible, but again, the problem with the Bible is the, the Bible doesn't say anything. I could put your Bible right here and it's not going to talk to you, right? These men did say something, and through their words, God speaks to us. And, and besides all of that, guys, here's the thing. The story of Jesus wasn't even worth telling or documenting apart from what we're going to talk about today, apart from the resurrection. I mean, think about it. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus was just another Jewish rabbi that kind of went off the rails. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus was just another wannabe Messiah because there were several in that day. And he was a wannabe Messiah that was executed by Rome. And the people who were closest to Jesus are so excruciatingly honest in the documents that they wrote. In fact, one of the reasons that you should take their account seriously is because they are so honestly, they did not write themselves into the story that we read as heroes. They wrote themselves into the story as doubters, as people that, that had problem with fear and, and people that had problem with, with, with doubt because, in fact, they did doubt. They expected Jesus to do what dead people do. And, and, and what do dead people do? They stay dead. And so when Jesus died, that's what they expected. Listen, I'm telling you, nobody, even his closest followers, as we're about to see when we go through John's account of how this happened, the most committed to Jesus, I'm telling you, nobody expected nobody. Nobody. It's recorded. John records it. Nobody was standing. None of his followers were standing outside of the tomb 
counting down from 10. Come on, everybody. We're all here. We know it's going to happen. 10, 9, 8. It's happening. 7, 6. I can hear it. It's coming up. 3, 2, 1. Victory. We win. The king is here. Did that happen? There was no one there. Every single person who loved Jesus and was devoted to Jesus as a believing he was the son of God, as he was their Messiah, determined that they had been tricked. They had been lied to. They had been fooled. Their hearts were broken. He is not who he claimed to be when he died. It was awful. Because the problem, guys, was with Jesus was not what he taught. The problem was not what even he did. The problem with Jesus is who he claimed to be. And, and if he was telling the truth about who he was, these disciples, these followers started to think he's clearly lied to us because, because you can't crucify the king, God's Messiah, the deliverer that we've been waiting for for years and years, generation after generation, you can't put the Son of Man to death. This can't happen. None of them expected this. Their hearts were broken. They really thought this was the one. And, and can I tell you today, as we jump into John's text, John was no different. John was brokenhearted. John was an eyewitness, a follower of Jesus, and he gives us account. John was a witness of both the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, and he details both for us, and I'm so thankful for it. Just like the other followers of Jesus, he did not expect the crucifixion, and John did not expect the resurrection. Do you know what he expected? He expected a king. He expected a deliverer. He expected, you know, this king to come in and set their people free, not from the bondage of Pharaoh, but now a new deliverer who would set their people free from the bondage of Rome. And, and, and John tells us, we're talking about last week, that he, he did this sign, Jesus did. He raises Lazarus from the dead. It was just two miles from Jerusalem. It was a miracle that went above any of the other miracles because Lazarus had been dead, not just for a few hours, like I said before, over four days, he had been completely embalmed. I'm telling you, this guy was dead, 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 dead. It's not like today some people will, will die, you know, in the emergency room, and then we do a couple things, chest compressions, all that stuff, and then they come back. This guy, it wasn't just a couple seconds. It was several days. And what happened is when Jesus stands up and says, Lazarus, Come forth. It's in front of a big group of Jewish people. They see this, and they all of a sudden believe. Everybody say believe. They see the sign. This is a sign. This is, we've never seen anything like this. This has never happened before. And after the resurrection of Lazarus, because they believed this was an undeniable act of God, what happened is many, many, many Jewish people came to faith. This tale started to spread like wildfire throughout the countryside. There was a groundswell of support. They had momentum. I'm telling you, Jesus had all of these followers just building up. John said after after the resurrection of Lazarus, he said this, and I quote, many believed in him. Believed in him as what? As the son of God. Believed in him as the Messiah. John tells us this. The problem was this. 
too many people believed. They're not too far from Jerusalem, and the people that are running the Jewish faith, the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, are not happy because they don't believe he is the Messiah. They are holding on to their old covenant ways. They, Jesus comes in, and he's saying things like he's tearing everything down. It's going to be a totally different way now. I'm telling you, I'm greater than Moses. I'm telling you, I'm greater than Abraham. It made them furious. They hated Jesus. They didn't want him. And, and all of a sudden, he's getting too much momentum. There's too many people that are following him. They, they were so in fear that, that uh, he, they even, in John's words, they thought that the whole world would now go after Jesus. So they had to do something about it. And they knew that Jesus would be coming along with all the other Jews into the city for the Jerusalem Passover. The city would be crowded. They thought this would be the best time that we can take this guy out because we can't have this guy doing this stuff anymore. So what they would do is they would wait till after all the festivities were over as people were leaving the city. And, and guys, literally, there was thousands and thousands of visitors that had come in, uh, people that were uh, Jewish faith, that were celebrating their faith, that were, were celebrating the Passover. They had come into the city at the time. Now they're all leaving. And the people that were in charge of the Jewish faith decided, that they would isolate now Jesus from the crowd. They would arrest him, and they would make sure somehow to convince Rome, who was now the people that were in power in government, would convince Rome to ultimately execute Jesus. This was their plan. And so Jesus and his disciples, they left the area of Bethany, where, G where Lazarus was raised from the dead. We talked about that last week. And now they're moving towards Jerusalem. The crowd knows he's coming. And I'm telling you, there are so many people now that are believing this is happening. What they are believing, please Take a time out and, and, and stop thinking about yourself in the world that you now live in and try to put yourself back in their day. You're a Jew living in Jesus' day, and you are sick and tired. You need salvation from one thing is what you need salvation from, and it's Rome, okay? And so you have been hearing of a coming Messiah that God is promising he's coming, and now he's, God is, has proven to all of us through Lazarus that he is the one, he is our Savior, our Savior from what? Rome, right? And so they are so excited. Remember when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, what do all the Jewish people start to do? Hosanna, Hosanna. They are geeked out. This is it. It's about to happen. It's, it's about to happen. The king has come into the city, and he's going to march in to, like, say, a government leader like Pilate, and he's going to tell him, no, 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 no more. We're not, we're not going to be oppressed to you anymore. And he's going to have, remember what the, the first deliverer, what, who was that? Who was the first deliverer? Moses. And Moses came in through signs. What were the signs that he had? It was like plagues. It was locusts. It was, and they're thinking, oh, here Jesus comes. He's the king, and he's going to start. I'm talking bloody rivers. I'm talking it's going to happen again. This is going to be amazing. That's what they are expecting. Don't read it in your mindset. Put yourself in their shoes. They are geeked out. They are so excited. The Savior is here. The king is here. It is Passover time. 
So many people are in the city, and they are just begging him to rip off of his rabbinic robe, put on the king's crown, and start doing what he needs to do. And this gets political very quickly. Because the people, the powers that be in the Jewish faith were not having any of this. He's not our king. And we're going to get rid of this guy. We're going to get him away from the people. Because there's a mob of people that believe. And they knew that if they jumped in and tried to take him, they'd be like, no, 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 this is our king. So they had to find and plot a way to get him away from the crowd. And they did. They, they find a guy named Judas who was one of Jesus' most trustworthy friends, and they say, listen, this is what we need to do. And Judas makes a deal. And towards the end of the week, as Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his 12 closest friends, the disciples, it's while he's there speaking to them, he literally increases their expectations that he is the king. He, He starts to make an announcement while they're all together and saying that God has sent me. And, and he has sent me to establish a new covenant. And they're all like, new covenant. That's right, baby. It's a new, there's a new dog in town. It's about to go down. New covenant. Tell us about this new covenant. And he's like, well, it's not like the old covenant. And they're like, yeah, well, well we have all studied the prophets. We've all read the Torah. We, we know that the prophet Jeremiah had promised that a new covenant was coming. What does that new covenant look like? And, and he starts saying, well, it's, it's totally different because it's not for a select group of people. It's not just for the Jews. And everybody said, amen. And he starts telling them, before it was a bunch of rules and regulations, right? It was rules on rocks. And this time it's not going to be that way. And and, in fact, this is going to be for the entire human race. God is coming to the whole world. And we all said amen. And he says, not only is there a new covenant, but there is a new command. And they're like, okay, what's the new command? And he says, it's very simple. You are to love each other the way that I have loved you. You are to love the world the way that I have loved you, not the way that you've loved before, not the way that you want to be loved. This isn't do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is a whole new thing. Gentlemen, you are to love each other. You are to love the world the way that I have loved you. And the next day, he would put on a demonstration of that love that would take their breath away. This was to be the trademark. This was to be the brand of the new brand movement. Clearly, they thought, well, he's about to declare himself king. Clearly, he's about to do something for the nation. But unbeknownst to them, Jesus is about to do something not just for them, but for you. Come on, somebody. And for me and for the whole world. And they left that mill that night. And that was the night that Judas had set it all up because Judas knew all of Jesus' habits. He knew where he would go. He He would go to this one certain place, and there Jesus is arrested. And he's taken by these Jews to their highest guy, the high priest. And there in front of the high priest, he's falsely accused. There in front of the high priest, he is beaten. And then... They take him to, this legally is what they would have had to do, 
they would have had to go to the government that they were now in, which they hated, but they did this. They took him to the Roman government. They took him to Pilate because they wanted Jesus executed. They know that lawfully they could not do them this themselves, and so they took him to Pilate, and as they get to Pilate, Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He thinks he's racist. He is. He does not like the Jews. He hates the Jews. He's Roman. He's like, man, these people always come with me to all these problems. First of all, he's like, I don't even want to hear about it. I don't even know what you're talking about, but I don't want to hear about it, right? And they, they have a, a group, a mob with them, and then he sees that they got a little power there, and he's like, okay, all right, listen, you convinced me to talk with them. So, so Pilate has a conversation with Jesus, and he comes out of this conversation with Jesus and looks at these Jews, and he says, seriously, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. Certainly nothing wrong of the charges that would cause me to put him to death. And they demand, though, he must die. He is claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be our king. He must die. And so Pilate sees that this thing is getting ugly, right? So he's like, I don't want to start this this crazy little war right here. I know that I need to take care of what I need to take care of. That's where I'm at. So I'm going to appease them, and I'm just going to take him and have him flogged, beaten within an inch of his life. I'm talking it's, it's, it's ugly. It's going to go down. So he does that. He has Jesus taken. He has him flogged. And he's thinking, when I bring out the beaten and broken body of this wannabe king, surely the crowd will change their mind, and they won't force me to execute this guy. And so he does it. He brings Jesus. Jesus' beaten, broken, bloody body in front of these people. And he says, listen, I, I think we, he's expecting mercy from the crowd. And instead, they said, no, no, it's not enough. He must die. He claims to be the son of God. Pilate, if you are a friend of Caesar, you cannot be a friend of this man. You must not allow this man to live. And so Pilate relents, and he gives in. And John, who was there for all of this, We'll pick up right here in verse 16. I put it up on the Sky Bible for you. John tells us in verse 16, So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went to the place of the skull. And again, remember, John is an old man. He's, he's, he's thinking back. He's, he's dictating this to somebody that's writing this down in Greek because he's probably too old to see, probably too old to write, and they're doing it, making sure it goes in Greek because Greek is the language of the empire, and this story should be told through the whole world, not just their world. So John continues in verse 18, there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. They crucified him. He doesn't go into the great detail that some of the other writers did that were there because at this time he knows that most of the people that have read his account, think about in his day, this story has been passed on and passed on. They know the details of it. And, and, and then John records the words of Jesus from the cross. And John gives us great detail that, that may seem unnecessary unless it were true. In fact, he gives us a detail that would be easy to discount to show that it wasn't true unless it was true. And John said that as he stood there gazing at his dying Savior on the cross, that Jesus said to him, John, Mary is your mother. 
and John is your son. And this was Jesus' way of saying, John, take care of my mom. And then John lets us know that he was there and he heard Jesus utter his last word when Jesus said, it is finished. And then John tells us in verse 30 that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He died. And then John tells us the most unusual things. These are words that if you're reading the gospel, you you would first of all maybe just skip right across these words because they don't seem in they don't seem significant. They don't seem to carry any meaning. But I want to pause for a second. I'm going to put these up on the screen for you because they are extraordinarily important. See, John pauses in telling us his story. Okay, he's not writing it as it happens. He this is later on in his age, and he's thinking back. He's dictating. So think about it. Get with me in the scene. He's dictating this to another guy who's writing this stuff down. He pauses, he reflects, and then he makes this statement, not for his immediate audience, but for future generations in this writing. He says, for you and for me, verse 19, I'll put it up on the the screen for you. The man talking about himself, the man who saw it, let's see if we can get verse 19 up there. The man who saw it, in other words, I didn't hear about this. I, I didn't read about this. I, I literally saw this. The man who saw it has given his testimony. In other words, he's about to say, I'm swearing to you that this is exactly how it happened. He says in verse 35, the man who saw it has given his testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that. Everybody say, so that. Come on, say it again. Say, so that. Right here, he reaches through out into the ages, and he grabs us by the shoulders, and he looks into our eyes, and he says, this is my testimony. My testimony is true. I testify to this so that, just like me, the eyewitness that you also, everybody say, you also. He says, so that you also, even though you weren't there, but so that you also will trust that I'm telling you the truth, so that you also will respond like I responded, so that you also may. Wow. Well, John, so far, if I'm reading this for the first time, we got a rabbi who just kind of went off the rails, fooled his followers, and finally led religious leaders. These religious leaders caught up to him and got rid of him. Well, that's not hard to believe. So far, Rome simply crucified another wannabe king. John, that's not hard to believe. So far, Rome is crucifying this wannabe king to which John would say this. Okay, I've made a pause and, and what I said, it, it, that's not the part that I was talking about because so far I have been talking about signs. Everybody, everybody say signs. Signs that pointed to something. Signs that pointed to Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God on earth. And what happens next, John would say, is the sign that went above all other signs. It's, it's, it's the biggest one. And I want to promise to you, I want to stop 
and, and, and swear to you that my testimony is true. What happened next really happened. And I might not have believed it if I did not see it with my own eyes, but I want to tell you I saw it. I was there. It really happened. I saw it all. And he continues in verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Why did he do that? It's because you couldn't have the body of somebody that was crucified unless you bribed somebody in, in command, in, in charge. Normally, it would be the centurion that was in charge there. You would bribe him. You would get that body because this was the worst death, crucifixion. So in this case, they, they had to go to Pilate to ask for the body, and he continues, with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. Verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture, pay attention to this, he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, and it's a lot, about 75 pounds of things to embalm Jesus's body. Why did they bring this stuff? They brought this stuff Because like everybody else, they expected Jesus to do what dead men always do. And what's that? Stay dead. Are are you tracking with me? This is what his followers expected. That's why they were embalming him. Verse 40, John continues, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was according to the Jewish burial customs. Why? Because they were expecting him to do what all dead people do, stay dead. Verse 41, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which one had never been laid because it was the Jewish, and pay attention to this, underline it if you have your Bibles today, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is John's way of telling his Jewish listeners, we were in a hurry. The sun was about to set. When the sun sets, the Sabbath begins, and everybody knows, if you're a Jew, that you can't work on the Sabbath. So he was like, man, we were in a hurry. It would be unlawful for us to do what we needed to do for Jesus' body. So we're we're rushing. So they hurriedly prepared Jesus' body for burial. They put him in a tomb. They put him in this this dark cave. They had their people then roll the stone in front of it, and they left. And and John, along with Peter and perhaps others, then disappear into the city. And we don't know what they did on Saturday. We don't know what John and, and, and Peter did on, on Saturday, I mean, everything had happened so quickly. <laughs> they were just with him, thinking he is the king. And then Judas, bam. Then all of a sudden, arrested, bam. Then all of a sudden, beaten, flogged, bam. All of a sudden, he is up on a cross, and he is dead, saying, take care of my mom. It is finished. They're like, we didn't expect it to happen this way. Then all of a sudden, they have to go and ask Pilate for the body. They embalm everything, and then they leave, and they're sitting there in a frenzy of emotions, and it's now starting to catch up to them. We were duped. People warned us. They warned us. But remember when he, but remember the first sign. Remember the second sign. 
just a couple days ago, he rose Lazarus from the dead. How could, how could he have been so wrong? Many of the disciples, so, so Peter and John stay in the city, but many of the, Thomas who was on them, left the city. They were duped. They fall asleep. We don't know what happened on Saturday, but on Sunday, they are awakened by a noise. Boom, 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 boom. And they are freaking out. First thoughts they probably had is, oh, no, the soldiers have found us. But then they would have thought, no, 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 no. If the soldiers have found us, soldiers don't knock. Roman soldiers kick the door in and take your rear wherever they want to take your rear. Right? So they go to the door, and they open the door, and who do they find? Mary Magdalene, and she is a mess. She is crying. She is, can, they can barely understand what she's saying because she is out of control. Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' most devoted followers. Jesus had done a miracle for her. She had been touched by Jesus' life, by Jesus' ministry. She truly believed that he was the Messiah, and now she's going through all of this stuff. And, and, and she was one of the women that followed Jesus and was so grateful because if you remember, Jesus consistently elevated the dignity of women when their culture didn't do that. He consistently elevated the dignity of children when their their culture didn't do that. This was Jesus, and she is brokenhearted, and she bangs on the door. They open up the door, and we pick up the story. John tells us what happens in chapter 20, verse 2. She says, they have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put his body. They've taken his body. We went to the tomb to make sure that his body had been prepared. The stone was rolled away. We looked in. Somebody has taken his body, John. She is one of his most devoted followers, and she assumes what everybody else assumes. Not a miracle. Not that he had been raised from the dead. She assumed that somebody had stolen his body. Please understand that none of them, they all doubted. They all doubted. They were all in a place of doubt. Are you getting this today? She looked into an empty tomb, and she assumed what everybody would assume, that all dead people stayed dead. And so John tells us he, there, was, there was something that happened where they went from fear and hiding to, oh, no, we, we need to do something about this. And we pick up the story in verse 3. He says this, so Peter and the other disciple, speaking of himself, Peter, this is, John John dictated this. Uh, pay attention. Peter and the other disciples, speaking of himself, started for the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple, speaking of himself, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, can we pause and talk about that for just a second? That's a very interesting detail for him to add in. This really shows, I believe, the humanity of John because John and Peter must have been really close friends because they spent so much time together. I mean, like, me and Pastor Jared are best friends, and we spend time together, you know, and guys will be guys. And, and if you were to maybe ask me about a fishing trip that me and Pastor Jared went on a couple years ago, I would sit here and tell you, oh, man, it was awesome. I mean, that day, you, could, you wouldn't believe how many fish I caught. I, I caught 12, 13 fish, man. I was definitely the best fisherman there. I mean, I caught way more than Pastor Jared. And Jared hears the conversation and says, hey, are you crazy? 
And he tells his side of the story, and he says, I got pictures to prove that I am a better fisherman than Jared. And, and I'm thinking about when John is dictating this, he, 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 he pauses and he chuckles for a moment. And he starts to laugh. And, and at this moment when he, when he is dictating this, remember that his, his really good friend, Peter, is, has already deceased. And, and he's thinking about this. And it, they must have always argued who was the fastest disciple. I mean, they must have, when they were walking with Jesus and, and Pastor Jared has talked, they, they would be at the north and they would go to the south and then go to the south. And they walked a lot and, and they must have, guys will be guys, you know, and you're, you're right beside the Sea of Galilee, you know, and you start, I can throw this rock further than you. Come on, Jesus, who do you think's fastest? And one of the disciples, maybe Thomas, to get a rouse out of them would say, hey, hey, John, who's the fastest of all of his friends here in this group? And John would say, man, man, y'all know that I am the fastest. Y'all know that I can outrun anybody. That's why y'all call me Lightning John. To which Peter would say, man, nobody calls you Lightning John. You are crazy. Nobody's ever called you that. You gave you yourself that nickname, and you know that I'm faster than you. And, and listen, this is just my perspective, but I'm thinking as, as John is dictating this, he chuckles, he pauses for a moment, and he says, listen, I got to set the record straight once and for all. Because Peter's not around to be embarrassed. But I outran Peter to the tomb. I just, I mean, it's just a fact. People should know this, all right? And then John steps back and, and, and realizes, okay, if I'm going to be honest about the whole part of the story, I got to tell the entire story. And in verse 5, he says, yeah, I beat Pete. I did. I'm the fastest disciple. But when I got outside of the tomb, verse 5, I've been over. He says, when I got outside of the tomb and, verse 5, I bent over and I looked in the strips of linen line there, and I'll be honest, though, I did not go in. And why didn't he go in? It's because it was a cave. It was a tomb. It was a burial place. It was dark. And so John is, is honestly writing this, and he admits that, hey, I'm no hero. I may be the fastest, but I wasn't. I didn't have enough courage to go in by myself. And then John tells us, eventually, my friend Peter caught up because he's the slower one. In verse 6, he says, Then Simon Peter came along behind me, and he went straight into the tomb. Why did Peter go straight into the tomb? This is because that's what Simon Peter, if you've been following any of the Gospels, that's what he always did. He always talked before he thought, he thought about it. He, he, this is what Peter would do. And so John says, here's what we saw. We saw the strangest thing. We saw... What we did not expect to see. Think about this. When somebody steals a body and they're looting everything and they're taking everything, in that moment, he says, what we saw in that moment convinced us that our whole entire world had changed. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Guys, it wasn't a mess. This wasn't a rush job. The thieves, if they would have been taking him, they wouldn't have unembalmed him, taken the linens, fold them, and put them in their place. John finally musters up the courage to step in. And verse 8, finally the other disciple, I'll look at the screen right quick. He says it. Verse 8, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. So, again, he said, I'm faster than Peter. 
also went inside, and then John gives him his gives us his formula. This is the formula that we've been taking you through the whole book of John. It's been throughout the entire gospel of John. This is the formula that he wants us to leave his readers with because it takes us to the entire epicenter of the Christian faith. And John said, speaking of himself in verse 8, he saw. So I saw, and when I put two and two together, I believed. At that moment, John's worlds changed. You see, the resurrection of Jesus reframed his entire life. It reframed everything about his life. Suddenly, it dawned on him. Everything Jesus had taught him was true. Everything Jesus had said about God the Father was true. That difficult moment when Philip stood up at the Passover meal and said, Jesus, show us the Father. And then Jesus said something that's crazy that should have made everybody stand up and leave the room. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Because Philip I am God. I'm not a great, just a great teacher or a great miracle worker. I'm greater than your father Abraham. I'm greater than Moses. I am God. And in that moment when he saw everything folded where it was supposed to be, he realized that Jesus had risen from the dead. He realized that this was the Messiah, the Son of God. He has risen. John would write it this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, don't ask me to explain it all because I don't understand it all, but the Word, which is God, became flesh. And I saw this happen. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The best way I could describe it, John would say, is it was as if the light of the world entered the world and lit up our world. It was at that moment that I recognized when he had risen from the dead, it all came together for me, and I believed. I believed. And John and Peter and the others would eventually see Jesus alive back from the dead. And and John, he does, he does uh, record several of the the conversations that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, that people had conversations with him. He records it, but I just want to look at one as we close. I'm asking the musicians to come up here and help me. But there was a time where, like I said, Thomas had left. When Jesus was crucified, the disciples scattered. Peter and John stayed in the town, but many of them left the town. And, and Thomas was was gone, and John gives us this detail about Jesus' first encounter with Thomas, and we pick up in verse 24, John tells us, now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so Jesus appeared to them, and Thomas wasn't there, he had split, right? In verse 25, so the other disciples told him, they went to Thomas, and they said, remember, they didn't have cell phones and texts back then, they had to go see him, and they found him, and they said, we have seen the Lord, he's alive. He's, he's risen because, listen, Jesus' sightings had now start to circulate all through Jerusalem and in that vicinity. Apparently, Thomas had heard this. And so, so Thomas, he comes back and he finally reconnects with the disciples. And they're like, where have you been? The Lord is alive. He really is. 
who he says that he is, but, but, but Thomas isn't superstitious. Thomas felt like he had just spent three years of his life following a false Messiah, and now he's gone to spend the rest of his, he's not going to spend the rest of his life chasing a ghost, chasing a rumor. So John tells us that Thomas said to them in verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not, everybody say believe. He said, I will not believe. He's like, John, I love you, but your words, they're just not enough. Peter, I love you, but I think you're seeing things, man. Hey, guys, I love all of y'all, but I'm not going to dedicate the rest of my life talking about a dead man who came back to life unless I see that man. In verse 26, a week later, John tells us his disciples were in the house again, and, and Thomas was with them. And John says, we were in the rooms and the doors were locked. I promise you where they were locked. And, and, and then Jesus, all of a sudden, he just came in the room and he stood among us. And he said, peace be with you. And he had to say, peace be with you. Because he had just scared the trash out of us, man. He came out of nowhere. And then John tells us in verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. And he says, it's me. Thomas, it's me. I'm, I, I'm who I said I was. And I love the literal Greek translation of the rest of that scripture because most of our English translations, they, they, they get mixed up a little bit. But literally what he says in verse 27, he looks at Thomas and Jesus says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. John included this little place, piece of narrative, because again, and, and it goes back to his central theme, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, when he saw, he said to him, just like what had happened to John, when he saw, I believe, the same thing happened for Thomas, and he says, my Lord and my God. And then, and then Jesus starts to talk to him, and he's like, I understand why you doubted, Thomas. I understand why you didn't believe. Thomas, you need to understand that you're like everybody else. There was nobody standing at this tomb going, three, two, one. There was nobody. People came with embalming stuff because they believed that I would stay dead. Hey, you're not any different from anybody, so don't let them give you this nickname, Doubting Thomas, because they all doubted. Seeing is believing. And are you ready for this, guys? At this moment, Jesus leaves his immediate context and he looks through the ages and he looks at you and he looks at me. He leaves his immediate context and knowing that this story is going to be told for generations and generations after generations with you and me in mind. He says to the group gathered that day, and blessed are those who have not seen and yet have He says, you, you believe because you have seen. But John, blessed are those 
who will read your first-hand account. And although they did not see, they will see through your experience. They will see through your account. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet Mark, Luke, Matthew, blessed are those who will read your account. And although they have not seen what you have seen, through reading your first-hand account that you write down or you dictate to somebody else to write down when they read it, blessed are those who have not seen but believe. And so this morning, that's, that's the end of this, this whole seven-week journey. That's the end of, and we're going to go back to the, the purpose statement. That's the end of, God, of John's gospel. Because he tells us right after that, John 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, and we saw them. And I didn't record all of them in my document, but these, these ones that I have selected, we were there, we saw them happen. These have been written down. They've been put in such a way so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Is the, is the Gospel of John just coming all together for you? Isn't it amazing that you would put that it would work for you, that you would see the sign, that, that they were not just miracles, but they were signs, and they weren't just signs, they were actually evidence, evidence of what? Evidence of what Jesus was claiming to be, it was true. And he said, and when I saw the sign of his resurrection, I believed. And when Thomas saw, and he put his hands at that moment, he believed. This morning, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand to your feet. I just want to ask you this simple question. What do you believe to be true about Jesus? Ask yourself that question. Who is Jesus? And I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for everything that was accomplished through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I also thank you for the ascension of Christ. I thank you for the complete ending of a law system of the old covenant. It is completely gone. You established a new covenant that we all now live in. We all now have access. The way to you has been made clear, and we now receive that completely. We thank you for everything that you have done, for everything that you have done for us, and everything you have done as us. We bless you today, Father. In Jesus' name. And, and, and this morning, I, I want you to do something for me. I want everybody here, if you would, just take your hand and put it over your heart. And I want you to say something with me. And, the, and there's a reason this morning, because the kingdom of God is voice activated. The apostle Paul said this. He said, I believe and therefore I speak. Speaking is not just something that God tells us to do. It's actually an extremely important part of, uh, of confession because the Bible says this, that we confess unto salvation. We make, we speak unto, salvation means they're so-so. 
and it actually means wholeness. We, we confess into completeness, to freedom, to deliverance. So there is a reason that God tells us to do certain things. And this morning, I just want you to close your eyes, put your hand over your heart, and I want you to make this your prayer this morning. I want you to decree this and say it out loud. Say, say with me, Father in heaven, I thank you for a better covenant. I thank you for a better promise. I thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection. Come on, say, you are better than I thought you were. You are better than I can ever imagine. I thank you for a new covenant. I thank you that I'm a part of that new covenant. I thank you that I'm not saved by my works, but by grace through faith. Today I receive your love. Today I receive your grace. I believe that you are God. Now flow through me to release your grace, to release your love, to release it to the world around me. In the name of Jesus and everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise this morning.